know what that song was? What is it? I must tell Jesus. Jesus can help me. Whatever it is today, Jesus can help you. Whatever it is, Jesus can help you this morning. Thanks, Laura. That was good. Page 291, higher ground. Page 291. Teen parents, if you can have your kid here tonight at 430, we will not have choir practice this week because of that, just because of the teen takeover service tonight. But uh, 430 for the teens, if they can be here then, that would be a huge help. So uh, anyway, 430. 291, higher ground. Let's stand. We're going to sing the first verse and chorus, and then we're going to sing two and three back to back, and then we'll sing the chorus, and then verse four. I'm pressing on the upward way, new heights I'm gaining every day, still freeing as I'm onward bound. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand by faith on heaven's stable My feet on higher ground. My heart has no desire to stay where doubts arise and fears dismay. Though some may dwell where these abound, my prayer, my aim is higher ground. I want to live above the world, though Satan's darts at me are hurled. For faith has taught the joyful sound, the song of saints on higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand by faith on heaven's stable land, a higher plane than I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. I want to scale utmost high and catch a gleam of glory bright but still i'll pray till heaven i found lord lead me on to higher ground lord lift me up and let me stand by faith on heaven's stable land a higher plane than i have found lord plant my feet on Thank you. You may be seated. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love. Whoever lives and pleads for me, my name is graven on his hands, my name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart, no tongue can bid me thence depart. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. 
Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. To look on him and pardon me. Behold him, the risen lamb, my perfect spotless righteousness, the great unchangeable I am, the king of glory and of grace. One with himself, I cannot die. My soul is purchased by his blood. My life is hid with Christ on high, with Christ my Savior and my God, with Christ my Savior and my God. One with himself, I cannot die. My soul is purchased by his blood. My life is hid with Christ on high, with Christ my Savior and my God, with Christ my Savior and my God. All right, kids, you can head on upstairs. Thank you, Thane. First time I've heard you sing a solo. Other than when he's at home singing theme songs from movies. <laughs> Matt, I'm glad you're here. I, I, I didn't get to read the whole uh, message, but you have a family member that's in the hospital, is that correct? Nephew? Nephew? We're going to pray for that. What, what was your nephew's uh, name? Jack? Okay, we're going to pray for him right now, okay? Father, we just come to you and ask, Father, that your healing hand would be upon Jack. Lord, we know is in serious condition right now, and I, I know that you're, you're the God of all things, and, and Lord, you're, you're the God of the impossible. And I pray, Lord, that you will work in Jack's body right now. I pray that you will give him the strength and that the, the doctors will have wisdom. You'll bring him through this, Father, and that through this that uh, he'll be a tool that's used for your honor and your glory. And Lord, we pray your hand be upon him in Jesus' name. Amen. If I was correct, was Jack hit by a car? Is that what I heard? So, very serious condition. So, you pray for Jack if you would. Uh, Rory, we're going to be praying for you this week. And uh, <clears throat> sorry, I'm not going to be here. <clears throat> you know, as a pastor, you, uh, I don't know, it's, um, it's kind of the, a, a gift that you give to your family, your church family, is to, uh, be there at the most precious times, and one of those is the death of a loved one. And uh, sorry, I won't be here for Randy, but um, as uh, as God has taken one home, He's bringing another one in. And uh, 
so I am excited, uh, stressed out a little bit, but we'll uh, <coughs> continue on. It just seems like every time you plan on going somewhere and, and getting a little time, uh, there are some of these things that come up and uh, really challenge you where you want to be here, but uh, I need to be in Alabama. And so that's where I'm going to be. And uh, but you pray for Rory, pray for his family as they bury Randy on Friday. So you can take your Bibles to Second Peter, if you would. Second Peter, chapter one. Started this last week. Plan on trying to be diligent and uh, stay in this until we finish it. But I titled this "A Journey into Holiness," and. I believe that our church needs this right now. I, I need it in, in my life. And, and uh, I think sometimes we, we can get a little slack in, in some things in our own life, in our, in our attitudes, our motivations, our, our, our lifestyle, just the things that we're doing. And, and I, I think sometimes it's good to be reminded. And, and Peter does that often in First Peter and Second Peter both of them, he, he says it quite often, I want to bring into remembrance. He, he wants to remind us of certain things that, that we know. And, and uh, we know that First um, Peter, when Peter wrote that, writing to the scattered believers, so representing churches all over the Asian region at that time, and, and uh, he, he was warning them of, of the the hostile environment around them on the outside, there are several things that were challenging the the church at that time from the outside, and and we know that we have those challenges too. But we get into Second Peter, and Second Peter is dealing more so with the challenges that come inside the walls of of this local church, and some of those issues that that we may have to deal with along the way, and. And so that's what these three chapters in Second Peter are dealing with. And, and uh, he wants to encourage the, the believers that the best way that you can battle the, the, the challenges that, that come from inside these walls is to know what the Word of God says. And knowledge is power. And we need to know what the Bible says, and, and we need to know how to apply those things to our lives. And and uh, use that as a tool and, and really as a, a weapon of protection for every one of us. It, it's the Word of God, which is the sword of the Lord, that uh, we can use in our lives. And, and uh, we, it can help us to guard against heresies. It can uh, guard against apostasy. It can guard against, the, the uh, as you might say here, the licentious living, which means a a license to just live however way that you want and, and think that that all things are okay and that uh, God is just going to wink at your behavior and and that's what he is going to be dealing with. And in all of that, he just emphasizes the importance of knowing God's word. And so as I was reading this, instead of doing some topical message out of it, I just decided, you know what, we can go verse by verse. Uh, and go through all three chapters of Second Peter and, and take everything that he says and figure out how we can apply that to our lives. And, and something that we need to understand is that 
Peter knew, and we'll see this later here in chapter 1, he obviously knew that there, there was a, a time coming when his life was going to be ended, and he knew that was coming uh, soon, as we'll see a statement later on here in chapter 1. And so this might be what you call his swan song, or that this is that final uh, chapter of his life of the things that he thought were important that we needed to know. And, and so he wanted us to know that. And uh, I gave a very basic outline for this last week. If you like to write notes and you like uh, things like that, well, Roman numeral one is the format for power. That's chapter one. And then chapter two, we have the false path promoters in chapter two. And chapter three is the foundation of promises. I do love the promises that, that he talks about uh, in, in this passage. And last week we saw the introduction in, in verses 1 and 2. I'll just read those. Simon Peter, so introducing himself as the writer of this. And, uh, and, and we'll see that he, he is the one who pins this, but he writes exactly what it is that God would have him to write. He was a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. To them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And so uh, here, the, the grace and the peace, we looked at that, is going to come. That, and this isn't a saving grace. That, that's already been dealt with. Let's make sure that all of you here have done business with God, that, that you recognize and realize that you're a sinner just like the rest of us. Nobody is any better than anyone else here. We all sin and come short of the glory of God. And, and, and through that, you are convicted of your sin and realize that, that you are unholy standing in the presence of God. And, and so the only way that you're going to be in that presence of God and be able to be with Him all eternity is by accepting that perfect path of righteousness and not in ourselves but totally through what Jesus Christ has done his death his burial his resurrection and and through that that is the gospel of Jesus and we by faith place our trust in what he has done for us and he saves us that's it don't don't think that those who are getting baptized next Sunday that that's what saves them it's their faith in the saving work of Christ that has saved them. And, and they are telling others that they are a disciple of Christ. That is what baptism is about. And so they're wanting the, the world to know that they're a disciple of Christ, but it's not their baptism. It's not being a member of Platte Valley Baptist Church that's going to get you to heaven. There is no church on, on earth that can, can take your sins and, and go to a holy God and say through the authority of the church that you are going to be admitted into heaven. That's not going to happen either. The only thing that you're going to get admitted to heaven through is the ticket that Jesus Christ has paid the price for you and you by faith are trusting in Jesus and Jesus only. And so we, we need to understand that's the saving grace, but the grace that he's talking about in verse 2 is a life-sustaining grace that we see and that we need every day. It's a grace that whenever we have the wrong attitude and, and maybe we say something mean or maybe our motivations are wrong or maybe there's a day where we're just really weak in our faith and, 
and, and maybe there's a doubt or two that kind of is sparked in your mind, and, and it's that, that grace that God continues to show his mercy, and, and he lifts you up even during those meltdown periods and brings you back into where you need to be and, and works in your heart and, and encourages you at that time. That's the grace. It's the, it's the grace where, where, where when uh, uh, Elijah had had uh, beat the prophets of Baal, and then he heard that Jezebel had uh, put a mark on his head and that he was going to be killed, and, and, and so he runs, and, he, and he's hiding, and, and it's there that, that God ministers to him. Instead of condemning him for what he's doing, he, he, he feeds him, and he lets him rest, and then he comes to him in a still small voice, and and shows him that he needs to get back on the path where he needs to be. That's the kind of grace that, that God's talking about. It's the grace that whenever you're dealing with high stresses in your life or the loss of a loved one, and, and you just don't know how you're going to be able to go on, and, and it's God's grace that sees you through that. That's the kind of grace, and, and it's a grace and a peace that it's that peace of God that that uh, passes all understanding, and it's multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. The more you trust the Lord, the more you rely upon the Lord, the more that you learn about God and, and who He is, the, the, the more grace and peace you can have in your life. Isn't that amazing how that all works? And so here he's, he's saying that it's important to have that grace and peace, then it comes through that knowledge of God, and that's a complete kind of knowledge. There's three different uh, New Testament words for knowledge, and this one means a complete, thorough, intimate knowledge of Jesus and who he is. And so we saw that in the introduction, and then we actually we started in verse 3, we we saw the, the powerful promises here in verses 3 and 4. We, I, and I stopped after 3. I don't believe we got through uh, verse 4. But here are some of the powerful promises that, that God gives us here in verses 3 and 4. According. And so now, through the, uh, because of, of who Jesus is, because, since, or inasmuch as uh, His divine power. And that we looked at that, that power that comes from the deity, that power that comes from God himself, the, the very power that, that, that brought Jesus up from the grave, that brought him out of death and restored his life, that very power is what he's talking about here, hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Boy, what a powerful promise this is that, that he has given these things to us that, that pertain to, to godliness and, and godliness uh, 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 unto life and godliness and, and the, the life that we have, knowing that we have eternal life, then, then nothing here ought, truly ought to bother us the, to, to the point of where, where we are, are I, I don't know, so disgusted or so disappointed or so discouraged that, that we want to turn our backs on God, but rather we, we can go through whatever the trials are, whatever the, whatever the questions are in your mind, that you can still trust the Lord and know that, 
look, he has given us everything that we need, and he's given us eternal life, and so whatever the challenges are here, it's going to be okay, because one day it's going to be a whole lot better. And so he's, through his divine power, hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, and all things, that's exactly what it means, all things. We, there isn't anything that we're lacking. He's given us all of that. And how has he done that? Through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Again, the knowledge of him. And he's called us in, in our behavior then to glory and virtue. Whenever we, we think about uh, the, the glory of God and, and, and we think about his, his uh, splendor, His magnificence, and, and we represent that in our lives. Are, are we? Are we representing the glory of God in our lives? Or are, are we representing something other than that? Are, are we representing the things of the world, the, the disgust of the world, and the disappointments of the world? Or are we representing the glory of God and showing Him what God can do with an imperfect vessel and patches us uh, uh, up and uses us greatly for his uh, e eternal uh, differences in people's lives. It's, it's up to us to understand that the more we get to know him, that the more we understand his glory and also his virtue, that moral excellence. We, we really are called to be moral people. And I'm not talking about moral morality that is determined by by the government or, or a society. I'm talking about morality that's defined to us in the Word of God. And it's a morality that God shows us things that are right and things that are wrong and shows us that, that uh, these things are good or these things are bad. And, and so we see that here we, we understand then that He has given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. And, and it's through the knowledge of Him that brings us to that glory and virtue. But then this is where, as he has called us, and, and we know it's that through salvation that he calls us, and, and we listen, and if he's knocking on your heart's door today, you need to understand that, that he's wanting you, first of all, to deal, you, you got to have the slate clean, okay? And the only way you get that slate clean is by trusting Christ as your Savior. Don't play games with God. Don't, don't think that by fooling everybody that's sitting here that, that you walk out of here and everybody can think that you're on your way to uh, an eternal home in heaven, but you know deep down in your heart that it's not true. And God knows that. You can't hide that from God. So just get it right with God and make certain that you know him as your Savior. And, and then we need to understand that he calls you, calls you not only to glory and virtue, but... You go back in First Peter, and, and he reminds us of some things. He calls you out of darkness. No longer are we stumbling around in the spiritual darkness and the spiritual blindness of those that do not know Christ. He's called us to follow the steps of Jesus, and, and so we need to behave more like who Jesus was and, and gave us that example of, of the kind and the gracious kind of man that he was, and and one that you wanted to get on the fighting side of Jesus, then blaspheme God. That's what he was offended by. He, he wasn't offended by other things, but he was truly offended by 
those who wanted to blaspheme the glory of God. And so we should uh, follow in the steps of Jesus. We were called to be Christ-like. We're called to his eternal glory. And, and here we're called by his glory and virtue. And how good that is. But then he goes on in verse 4 then, whereby or by which? By what? By his glory and virtue. It could be that. It could also mean everything that he said in verse 3, according to his divine power, that are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. You know something about this that's good? Is it talks about he has given those to us. And it means that he did it in the past and the results of that last forever. He doesn't go back and take them away. I know it's not woke. What was that? He's not an Indian giver. Anybody ever heard that? Yeah, I'm, I'm very unwoke today, all right? And so I told you my wife might not necessarily endorse everything that's said today. And so, but don't be that. Don't say one thing and then take it away. Kind of like politicians that promise they'll never raise your taxes again, right? And so we, we know as soon as they said that, they just lied. And, and uh, let's be careful with those kinds of things, right? But here he's talking about some, these are promises. And, and so here he says, whereby are given. Something that he did in the past, and never is that to change. But he's given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. I, I read this this morning in, in my devotions and, and uh, how powerful this is also. And, and, and it tells us this in uh, Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 18. Well, let's start with verse 17. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. How powerful is that? When we think about the promises that he has given us. They are precious promises that God has given us. Do you know that it's been estimated, and, and I don't know how in the world you'd ever figure it out, it's been estimated that there are over 30,000 promises in the Bible. 30,000. I mean, does God not want you to understand that, that these are precious to us and and how we ought to take his word. And, and when we find those promises that, that God tells us in the scripture, let's, let's wrap them up and, and let's hang on to those and, and realize and understand that he is not going to go back on his word. He's not going to change his mind on those things. But he has given them to us so that we can live knowing that we have a God who will honor all the promises that he has given and they're great, and they're precious. They are highly valuable because they come from God. And then why does he do so, that, or in order that, or even for the very purpose that, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature. Now, whenever we think about 
that divine nature. Turn back, if you would, to 2 Corinthians and in uh, chapter 5 and verse 17, a verse that many of you have probably heard over and over and over, but he says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And then he tells us in verse 21, it tells us, For he, God, hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That's the divine nature that God has given us. Now all of a sudden, we're starting to understand maybe more of what I'm trying to tell you here is that Peter is telling these guys, look, if you want to defeat the challenges that are going to come from within, then you need to start living according to the divine nature that God has given you at that moment when you trusted Christ as your Savior. You need to start behaving in a way that God wants you to behave, not not some man-made rules that that somebody wants to give you a list and say, in order to be holy, you must do all of these things. Just take the Word of God, let the Holy Spirit of God work in your heart, showing you what the Scriptures say, and applying those things to your life. And you'll find out, we'll, we'll really all come to that same agreement at some point in time, and, and the Holy Spirit will take us and give us what it is that we need to know. And, and our whole life is growing and understanding that that uh, Christian life is is changing this or doing this or getting rid of that or adding this or all of these things that we ought to be doing in our lives that uh, bring us to more of a Christ-like life uh, that represents Him. And, and that's all a part of that divine nature. And, and so here that you might be partakers or a sharer or a companion. Isn't it amazing how how God, not only does He tell you that Hey, here's the way, walk ye in it. He's, but he goes on, he says, I'll show you how to do that. And as a matter of fact, not only will I show you how to do that, but I'll empower you with the Holy Spirit of God. I will give you the very directions that you need according to the Word of God. And, and, and I will give you everything that you need to walk this way. If we'll just do it. So often, though, we get distracted. So often our motivations or our own personal goals of achievement get in the way or, or our pride gets in the way or lust gets in the way or whatever it may come or, or, or some, whatever Satan wants to throw at us gets in the way and, and then pretty soon we're distracted and we're not doing what it is that God wants us to be and then we're not representing and we're not being the true partakers of the divine nature that we ought to be. And here he says that when we have come to this point where we have trusted Christ as our Savior, then we have, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So having escaped. And that, that really is, you're really, you're delivered. God's the one that delivers us from that and brings us out of that pit that we're in. Remember David wrote in Psalm 40, I believe, that, that he heard my cry and, and lifted me up out of the miry clay and had put my foot upon a rock. Know how we see that having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. The word corruption, just depravity, the destruction of the world. Look, we live in this world 
But let's make sure that we're not of this world. Let people see that there's a difference in us. And, and how do you do that? Well, you can go about and, and do it on your own. And, and then really you're just kind of marked as a hypocrite. And, and you're starting to make your own little man-made rules of things that you think that you ought to do to represent Jesus. Instead, why don't you just stay in the Word of God, learning what the Word of God says, asking the Holy Spirit to give you wisdom and how to apply what you read, and, and you'll find that God will gradually take you where you ought to be. And there's nothing fake about that. It's all transparent. You're just following God, and God's doing that work in your heart and in your life, and, and slowly He's changing you and conforming you more and more into His image. And it's a new nature. You're no longer representing the world's wicked desires and, and the world's wicked lifestyle that is out there. And, and the believer has escaped those things. And, and let us live according to the divine nature. Therein lies the rub. So often we, we're representing our old self rather than our new self. Well, how do you keep from doing that? Knowledge. Knowledge in the Word of God and understanding more and more of what it says and, and applying those things to your lives. And, well, now he goes into verses 5 through 11, and he shows us those powerful practices that we ought to be implementing in our lives. And here's how we do that. Here's how we take care of those things in our lives. And here's some of those things that we ought to be doing. And, and, and you have to ask yourself, I want to be, I want to be rid of, of the world and, and the corruption of the world, and I want to live in this crazy world with the divine nature being seen in my life in all areas. So how do you do that? Well, he says, and beside this, so understanding that you are a sharer of the divine nature, beside this, giving all diligence. So there is something we ought to do. This is our homework. These are the things that we ought to be practicing in our lives. Add to your faith. So here's, here's, where, here's where the rubber meets the road in most of our lives. There, there are many that would say that, hey, I know Jesus Christ is my Savior. Okay, well, live that way. Live in a way that shows people that you are saved. Do people know that? Can they tell that in your life today? Do they recognize and realize that there's something different about you and in, in your, I don't know, the way you treat each other, the, the way you treat your wife, the way you treat your family, the, 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 the priorities that you have in life. Do they recognize and see that, that there's something different about you because of your faith and, and about Jesus in your life? And, well, that's what he's showing us here. It's far more than just telling people that you are a saved individual. It's showing them that you're a saved individual by your behavior. That's what we have to get to. That's where I think that we've been lacking sometimes in our own personal lives lately is we've been distracted by the world and, and it hurts not only your testimony, but it hurts the whole church's testimony. And it hurts God's testimony first and foremost. And so let's be careful and understand that we have a responsibility. And so with all diligence, with earnestness, add to your faith, virtue. Remember, he already said that, glory and virtue. Moral excellence it just means to be moral people. Moral according to what God's Word says. 
standing according to what God's word says and say those things, I'm just not going to practice that. Why? Because God says not to. It's not that I don't love the people that are practicing it. We, we need to love them and tell them about Jesus, but there is a, there is a moral standard here that God has placed in, in his word, and we will not cross that, but we are going to live according to what he tells us. And so we have that moral excellence in our lives. It, it ought to be honesty. Anybody here ever listened to Rush Limbaugh before he passed away? Remember of several years ago, I wouldn't recommend doing this, but he, he always made the statement, he said, it's someone that you could leave your child with and could be trusted. Well, that's really what we ought to be. We ought to be trusted. People ought to know that you, whether they like it or not, you're going to tell them the truth. And, and, and they know that they can they could leave their billfold with $1,000. I don't know who in the world would ever carry $1,000 in their billfold. But anyway, if you did, you could leave that with someone and know that it would all be there. You, you can trust them with whatever. That, that's, a, that's the kind of virtue that we ought to have. And, and people might not agree with you on everything, but they know that you would be an honest person. That, that is what, what we're seeing and moral virtue and so we add to our faith we add to that virtue and then what do we add to virtue we add knowledge and so here this is a this is the kind of knowledge that you learn from personal experience and you put god to the test okay god you you promised me this that that you, you promised me that if i will seek your kingdom and your righteousness that that you will take care of my home that you'll take care of the the, the, so you'll take care of my job, you're going to take care of the place I live, you're going to take care of the clothes that I wear, you're going to take care of the food that I eat. Yes, I'm going to work, I'm going to trust you, but I'm going to trust you that you will provide those things. All I'm going to do is mainly focus on your righteousness and your glory. And I'm going to trust that. Put him to the test. See if he'll do that. Maybe as I mentioned in, in, the, in the love offering that you give and God lays something on your heart in the next year or two and, and, and you know that God is prompting you to give that to the building fund to help and make that sacrifice and, and you know God is doing that. Are you going to do it? Are you going to trust him and give that and know and just give it up and let God have it or not? I mean, that's just an example, but I mean, there's all kinds of things that that uh, we need to be doing. And so here we add to virtue knowledge, that personal experience. And then knowledge, then what do we add to that? We add temperance or self-control. What, what kind of self-control are we talking about? It's discipline in, in your prayer life. It's discipline in your Bible study. It's discipline in your use of time. You ever, you ever done a an audit of what you do in a day or go through and, you know, um, my father-in-law for years has kept a little journal. Maybe you ought to keep a journal just for a week and see where all your time was vested and see where, what, what was important to you. Were, was there any time that was truly wasted Boy, how much, how much time has social media robbed us of family time or work? <laughs> I mean, 
all, you know, if you're an employer, you know, how much time is wasted, you know, with people sneaking around and watching their phones all the time, right? But a disciplined use of your time, a discipline in your bodily appetites, your mindful appetites. Where, where are, we, are we controlling what we're thinking about? You ever, anybody here ever let your mind race? <laughs> yeah, how many of us? Usually it happens, what, about 1130 at night when you know you got to get up at 5? And I don't know, there's nothing good that happens really at 5 in the morning either, you know? My father-in-law always said, nothing good happens after 10 o'clock. That's why I had to have Teresa home by 10. Well, I say nothing good happens before 7 in the morning either. Uh, that's just ungodly hours, you know. If it's dark outside, you ought to be sleeping. And so, at least on that end of things. But, you know, the, the, the mindful appetites, do we feed that or do we stop it? Do we stop thinking about those things that are just detrimental to our health, that are detrimental to our relationships, that, that really do not solve any issues at all? I mean, let, let us go to bed at peace with God, and, and maybe we ought to, the best way to shut your mind off on, on those things is maybe the, the best thing you can do is open up your Bible and read a psalm or read two psalms, or some of you read 76 psalms, you know, it's better than you're thinking that you have. Stop the stinking thinking, right? Start thinking about what God has, and, and that's discipline. I mean, that's the temperance that he's talking about. We, we change who we are, and, and you do so by spending the time with God, and he starts changing that, and, and, and probably one of the most, the, probably the hardest addiction that we have is just retraining your brain. We think about addictions, but how many of us are addicted to worry? How many of us are addicted to depression or discouragement? Or, and that comes through pessimism so often. Let us change our way of thinking and let us show some self-control in our lives. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul wrote this in verses 25 through 27. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it unto subjection, but that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Boy, have I seen that so often, and it's a terrifying thing as a pastor you get up and you preach the word and you preach the word and, and you're, every week you're preaching the word and then you hear of some preacher that, that goes off and does something completely stupid and, and disqualifies himself from the ministry. And, and, and here it reminds me that first and foremost, I need to do this battle in my life and keep my mind under subjection, keep my body under subjection, have some self-control and and so often we just give in to it. Next time you're in an argument, instead of knowing, and, and you're not going to tell me you don't have control of this, okay? If, you're a, if you are a believer, you know Christ is your Savior, and I understand this. I have, have had anger issues in my own life, and, and you get to a point in an argument where 
you're getting ready to say something, and you know in the back of your mind the Holy Spirit is saying, do not go there, and you go there anyway. Don't do it. That's the temperance that he's talking about. It's a change of life. It's a change of who you are. All of a sudden, your spouse is like, I know he was going to say this, but he never said it. And so let God change you in who you are. And then he goes on with that. Not only add to temperance, but at temperance, patience. Boy, doesn't that go right along with that? You start showing some self-control, and so God's like, okay, let's just stir this up a little bit. And then not only self-control, but you have to show some patience or some endurance, right? You ever have that, you ever have that person, I, I hate to admit this, maybe I shouldn't. Anyway, I had a, not here, okay? But I had it back when they had all the different ringtones, which was really kind of cool. But I had this one, if she called me, it sounded like a mosquito. And you can just guess why, you know? I mean, there, there's some that just kind of try your patience, you know? And, and it was just a reminder, before you answer, be nice, right? But, you, you know, there are times where people try you. There, there are situations that try you. There are coworkers that really try your patience. There is a boss that probably tries your patience. There's probably a pastor that really tries your patience at times. And so what do you do? You smile, you laugh at him, and you think, he's such a moron. <laughs> but you don't tell me that, and you just make me feel good about myself, and we, we live in ignorance, all right? And you just pray that he'll get better. <clears throat> but the patience, and it is an endurance. Second Thessalonians 3, in verse 5, Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, and the Lord, direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. McDonald, in, in one of his commentaries, he made the statement, the art of bearing up and pressing on in the face of all that seems to be against us. That's the patience that he's talking about. You know what it helps develop? The next thing is godliness. It's that high respect for God. It's a devotion where you know that you are going to put up and forbear what's going on, and, and you're going to show some endurance and steadfastness in your faith, and, and, and you're, going to be, uh, you're going to show some self-control in your life. And why? Because of the godliness. You don't want to offend God. You, you want God to be pleased with who you are and what you're doing and how you're living. And, 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 you want to, and, and remember that, that there are times when we sin. Okay? And you need to understand that conviction comes from God. Guilt and shame does not. God doesn't guilt you into doing something. God will convict you and show you that, that you are guilty of a transgression against him, but he's pointing you back and bringing you back to restore you. If you're walking around in shame and guilt and, and self-hatred, then that doesn't come from God. You need to get it right with God. Confess it to God and, and let him have it. And, and, and when he takes it, it's gone, okay? And now you're restored and keep moving forward. 
but in doing so, you, you do not want to offend God, and, and you have a godliness about that, and so you conduct your life in a way that's pleasing to Him, not because you're trying to impress anyone, you just want to do so because you love God, and you have a high regard for Him. Second, First Timothy, Paul wrote to Timothy in chapter 4, verse 8, For bodily exercise profiteth little. I sure do love that verse. If we could just stop there, it's kind of like the one in, in Hebrews where it says that we ought to provoke one another. The rest of it says provoke them to good works, but we can leave that off, okay? We, we'll just, you know, we'll provoke people and we'll not exercise because it profiteth little. But it says, for bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. You see, we're already living our eternal life. That very moment that we trusted Christ as our Savior, absent from the body, present with the Lord. And so we ought to live today with a high regard for God and wanting to do what it is that He wants us to do. And how else do you do that? Then showing that godliness through brotherly kindness. I, I heard a conversation this morning with Thane and Tyler. Tyler had called him. I, I'm, I'm not sure that that's the kind of brotherly kindness that we're talking about. I think he needs to work on that a little bit. I'm not sure where Thane's at, but uh, he's probably upstairs. I think Tyler and Thane should work on their brotherly kindness a little bit. You guys understand. But you love them like a brother. And we love people like that. Philadelphia, the, the city of brotherly love, they're not really living up to that too much right now. But that is what God wants us to be. And show that brotherly kindness, it tells us in the Gospels that it's the love which identifies us as Christ's disciples. And then it brings us to the point where we can love with charity. Brotherly kindness, we add to that charity, a sacrificial love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The love that God has for us, he made salvation as simple as he possibly could. He did all the work. He's the one that died on the cross. He's the one that was buried. He's the one that rose again. He's the one that made the pavement all the way to heaven through Jesus. And why? Because he loves us. He doesn't want anyone to go to hell. He doesn't choose people to go to hell and some to go to heaven. He has chosen and, and wants us all through our free will and through our trust in him to call on Jesus to be our Savior, and, the, and it's paved right there for us. You'll call on Jesus. He has shown us the love. And it's that love that we ought to be practicing in our lives as believers today. And I do believe it's a supernatural love. It's a love that is expressed through the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's a love the world can never comprehend. And we need to show them that type of love so that they can understand the divine nature that is in us through Jesus. Oh, how powerful it is.
And he tells us, for if these things be in you. So it is conditional. And you have to choose to work at doing these things, diligently giving all diligence. For if these things be in you and abound, as you work on these things, they will grow and they will increase in your life. They make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I think one of the worst testimonies that a believer can have is someone who is ignorant about who Jesus truly is in their life. That's because we just don't practice what he wants us to practice in our lives. You see, there are many, I believe, and maybe it's the fault of our churches today, not discipling as we should, to show them how much we have in Jesus Christ as our Savior. It's not just a promise for eternal life, but it's a promise that he has given us to live this life in a way that exhibits the divine nature of God who lives in us and through us. Lord, help us to be that. Help us to be a church family that goes into this community and not always constantly on the fight or, or, or on the, you know, the, the disgusting ways of the world and living like the world, but truly living in a way that is God-honoring and God-pleasing the things that we're doing and so that we're not barren, that, that we are not unfruitful and useless in, in, the, in productivity, but truly being useful for God as he says, and, and in the knowledge, and the complete knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So where does it start? Well, it starts with you. Make certain that you know Christ is your Savior. If you don't, settle it today. Call on Jesus to be your Savior. Place your faith totally in what he has done for you today, realizing you're a sinner, and you need Jesus to be your Savior. He'll save you today. And then live like he tells you to live. Well, how's that? Well, we just went over several items that you ought to be working on. Give diligence to these things and allow God to work in your life and you will find that God can use you to make an eternal difference in someone that you love, in someone that is invested in you. Invest in them and show them the importance of the eternal life and the divine nature that God wants to exhibit in your life. What hinders you? Well, you. That's what hinders it. Get rid of the hindrances. Let's be what God would have us to be. Let's pray. Father, I pray you do a work in our hearts. Lord, whatever it may be that's stopping us from being what you want us to be, help us, Lord, to just totally give that up. Roll it over onto you. Find your power, your strength, your forgiveness, your restoration to be all-powerful. And help us to live in a way that is truly honoring to you. Lord, we love you. And we pray that you will use us as vessels that will reach people for eternity. And I pray that you help us to be what it is that you want us to be. And we pray now that you will guide us and direct in the hearts of each one who's here. In Jesus' name, amen. 611, one more opportunity. If you need to get things right with God, now's the time to do so. If you need someone to sit down with you and explain some things about salvation, maybe you have some questions, you come. 
I'll have someone take you into my office where it's quiet and answer any questions, but whatever it may be. 611, let's all stand as we sing. That first verse, take my life and let it be. And let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my moments and my days, then flow in ceaseless praise. Let them flow. Let's sing that last verse also. Take my love, my Lord, I pour at thy feet its treasure store. Myself and I will be ever only all for thee, ever only all for thee. Appreciate all of you being here today. If you can come back tonight, love for you to be here. Uh, it'll be a blessing to see our teams taking the entire service and those are our future leaders here in our church family, and uh, so appreciate each one of them and their enthusiasm, and uh, just uh, going to be a great evening. Pray for each other through the week. Uh, I'm sorry I will not be here next week, but uh, you pray for Kareth and Matt and, and little baby James, and, and uh, we'll just uh, give you a good report as soon as we know, and uh, God bless each one of you. Let's have a great day. Let God use you how he wants to use you and make an eternal difference in someone's life. God bless you. You're dismissed.